Welcome investors to the Absolute Return Podcast, your source for stock market analysis, global macro musings, and hedge fund investment strategies. Your hosts, Julian Klamotko and Michael Kesslering, aim to bring you the knowledge and analysis you need to become a more intelligent and wealthier investor. This episode is brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Hey, welcome everybody to the show. On today's podcast, we welcome special guest, AvPoint CEO TJ Jiang. AvPoint is the largest data management solutions provider for the Microsoft Cloud. On the show, TJ discusses his journey from new immigrant to Wall Street to successful entrepreneur taking his company public, how he made it through the adversity when founding the company, lessons learned from taking his company public, his thoughts on the current recessionary economic environment, and more. So with no further ado, here's our show about the entrepreneurial journey with AbPoint CEO TJ Jiang. Welcoming TJ to the show all the way from Munich, Germany, doing some business travels and appreciate the late night podcast recording. TJ, how are you today? I mean, tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Uh, Good afternoon to you, Julian and Michael. Good to be here. Thank you for uh, having me on the show. Yeah, so I find your story very compelling. You're a first-generation immigrant. You came to the U.S. when you're just 11 years old. You didn't know any English. Your family had very little money. And so as you kind of pursued you know, a new life in a, in a completely uh, new country, it seems like the deck was stacked against you, but you're able to get into a great school, Cornell, then have a fantastic start to your career as a programmer on Wall Street. What do you attribute that success to? I really, uh, I have fantastic parents who are academics. Um, they they are biophysics uh, researchers. They were the first batch of exchange scientists that uh, were fortunate enough to uh, come to U.S. in the mid '80s. They always stress on academics, and uh, I think actually growing up uh, with nothing as first generation immigrant helped a lot. Uh, I had to work um, and earn my own key ever since I was uh, 12 years old. And uh, I think, you know, what doesn't carry makes you stronger. And, you know, people talk about developing grit, you know, that that's uh, part of the experience. And I, I love, um, you know, being able to give them the opportunity to, to grow. And I went to a great public school in Bethesda, Maryland, Walt Whitman High School. So I think uh, uh, we were just blessed with opportunities. And, you know, I, I think America remained to be the best country where if you work hard and uh, seize the opportunity, you will be able to get ahead in life. So, yeah, it's part of the American dream. And prior to becoming a founder and entrepreneur, you had stints at Lehman Brothers and Citadel. What was that experience like? Yeah, I uh, worked at Deutsche Bank uh, and Lehman Brothers. Uh, Deutsche uh, at the fixed income, trading, uh, uh, writing uh, bond analytics uh, software. And then Lehman Brothers, I followed my MD to Lehman Brothers, uh, program trading on the equity desk. And then 9-11 happened. Uh, my office is 40th floor of World Trade Center. Thankfully, everyone on the 40th floor uh, made it down that day. Uh, that was a life-changing event. And I decided to go to grad school. First in uh, MBA at Stern, and then switch over to uh, doctorates in machine learning and data mining. And that's when I actually, after my first two years of uh, master's program and uh, did my um, kind of qualifying exam, and I decided to uh, work at Citadel as a quant quant desk uh, engineer. So yeah, those were interesting days. You know, you get to learn at a very fast pace, pace, and work at very fast pace. 
Um, and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's just, um, makes you very, very focused on very niche problem sets. And after a while, I realized that um, that may not be my calling. Um, you know, the, the money is fantastic uh, to work uh, on Wall Street. I work at Citadel. Um, but it's something that I, I, I wanted to broaden myself. I feel like I got really, really good at high-frequency trading uh, from a programming and analytics perspective, but that made me uh, less and uh, less interesting of a person. <laughs> so, and of course, at the, around the same time, my my good friend, um, Kai, who I met at my first job, Lucent Bell Labs, uh, Alec Cornell, uh, decided to start his own company called AppPoint. And he pulled me in. And uh, that has been a life-changing experience for me. This podcast is brought to you by Accelerate, one of Canada's leading alternative investment solution providers. Do you want to hedge your investment portfolio and protect your nest egg from significant drawdowns? Look no further than the Accelerate Absolute Return Hedge Fund, a long-short equity ETF that trades under the ticker symbol HEDGE, H-D-G-E, on the TSX. HEDGE, your uncorrelated portfolio diversifier. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. I think it's been pretty well discussed on why Wall Street would be a good training ground for for entrepreneurship and and a good starting point for a career. But why would can you explain why high frequency trading um, would be be a really good opportunity uh, as well as a training ground prior to entrepreneurship? Yeah, it's really the discipline of in a B2B software environment. So we are all coders and we're all engineers. Prior to that point, I knew nothing about sales or marketing or business development, nor capital raises for that matter. So everything is new uh, as, as we grow our point. But yeah, the discipline of Wall Street, uh, the rigor of writing really robust, um, high quality high-performance software platforms. And that's something I've taken with me to starting AppPoint as a enterprise B2B software platform company. So we think in platforms. We don't think in point solutions. And we think about robustness of governance and regulations and speed. So all of that, I think, really builds this foundation for us as we started our own B2B software company. Now, from uh, just a cursory view, people would see... Uh, you co-founded a company, you're CEO at Avpoint, which is now a publicly traded business, and that must have been uh, an overnight success. However, you've described your entrepreneurial journey as a roller coaster of a thrilling ride, and you stated that you struggled. Avpoint did not make a single dollar for three years, and it wasn't for another decade that I could pay myself more than my Wall Street salary. So a lot of adversity there. How did you make it through that? Yeah, so you know it's it's funny, Julian. Through that entire time, we were just having fun. You know, I think what was important is we didn't really care about money. Money was just a byproduct. We were far more interested in global, uh, growing a global enterprise footprint. And we started in enterprise content management space, which is Microsoft SharePoint. And because only large businesses use that, and for us to reach that audience, we had to be in person white glove service. And that's why we actually expand into 18 different countries. So part of the thrill of starting a company being so super scrappy and, uh, you know, be able to, you know, just do everything on our own, but be able to have that exposure globally. It's just a fantastic experience. Yes. On one hand, we were pretty uh, cash strapped and, you know, never had that much to, to work with. On the other hand, the thrill of creating something new, of opening office in UK, in Japan, 
in Singapore. It's that you know excitement of learning something new, creating something new, and creating a global business that really is the part of the thrill. So the journey is what was important to us. We didn't actually feel like it was hard work because we were truly enjoying ourselves and learning in real time to grow a, a real international business. And starting it out of a, a garage or, or whatever, did you ever think, oh man, I, I made a big mistake here, which I stayed on Wall Street, or were you always uh, confident in, in the future? Sure, that's a great question. There's a funny <laughs> story. I, I, I very seldomly told this. So when I did my qualifying exam, and then, you know, usually in a doctor program, you do two years of class and do a qualifying exam. And after that, you have, you know, three to four years to do your PhD thesis. And that's when you have a lot of time. So after that, um, Kai really wanted me to get involved at uh, full time. So, But I, I wanted still to try working at Citadel because I, I was following, again, my previous MD there. And um, he was truly disappointed, <laughs> you know, in me actually trying something out before uh, trying Outpoint. But I, again, I, I didn't find, uh, you know, my passion with, with Citadel. And I, I decided to do uh, a startup. And I think, um, you know, it, it was uh, it was really trying different things and, and figure out, you know, where I really like, um, where my passion led me to do uh, is what, what drove us. And yeah, we started in a public library in Somerset, New Jersey, <laughs> and then and then we grew this business. Yeah, so uh, it, it's been a, a really really good ride. And when you guys started it, you and your business partner Kai in this library, the founding of AdPoint. What problem were you looking to solve? What was the opportunity that you saw? Yeah, that's another thing I actually tell a lot of entrepreneurs. Most people think that you know the first product is a blockbuster product. That's not true at all. For in our case. We started in first the exchange backup space in early 2000s. It's already a very crowded space. Um, so again, we back then people were selling CDs. This is B2B software, right? Selling CDs uh, and, and distribute that way. Nobody will buy uh, that kind of enterprise software from a guy and a half in New Jersey. We like most things in life. You have to work hard, but you also have to get lucky. And our big break was Microsoft released this thing called Lake Tahoe Project. Later, it's called SharePoint. Um, so we actually supported that because the backup format was the same as Exchange. It's a web storage, a library format. Uh, and even then, nobody bought from us. <laughs> and and um, we our big luck came in in 2003 when second version of SharePoint came out. It was using completely different relational database SQL backend. And we became the only provider in the world that supported the migration path and then later backup of that enterprise content management platform. And that got everyone's attention. And that brought us recognition in the enterprise space as a company that focused on the tougher problems to solve, uh, things that usually are too tedious for other people to worry about. We just got in there and then got lucky and be able to start generating revenue and pick up really large customers. So oftentimes in life, I think it's really work hard and be lucky. And when you get that opportunity, go and seize it. So it's never like uh, all of a sudden we have epiphany in the very beginning that we have a wonderful uh, billion plus you know market cap company. That's never like that. And they say the harder you work, the luckier you get. So it looks like you guys created this opportunity. You caught your lucky break and you went from basically zero users and now more than 9 million cloud users rely on AdPoint solutions. Can you talk about some of your products and how they have developed over time? Yeah. So we actually today are the largest third 
third-party SaaS data management and data governance uh, solution provider in the Microsoft Cloud space. Um, so we help enterprises migrate, manage, and protect their cloud data in Office 365, also Azure, as well as Dynamics 365, which has since expanding to Salesforce, as well as Google. Um, how we started is in the enterprise content management space, as I mentioned earlier, migration and backup, and even in the on-prem world, because this company has been around for more than 20 years, uh, the first 10 years is on-prem, and that was really focused around the infrastructure uh, support, so data backup, data governance, as well as compliance and record management, so information lifecycle on top of ECM. And then we made another big pivot early in 2010s into cloud, where Microsoft just started to, with this called BPOS, um, uh, business productivity online uh, type of uh, thing, basically precursor to SharePoint Online, precursor to Office 365, M365. We recognized very early on that cloud is the future. It allow us to expand our total addressable market from just ECM, which is SharePoint, to include the entirety of Office 365. Because today, if you use Teams to do collaboration of sharing documents and co-authoring in the Microsoft world, you have to go through SharePoint. SharePoint as an ECM platform becomes almost the foundation and uh, piping, if you will, for Microsoft Office. So we were able to recognize that early on, recognize that allows us to expand our total addressable market to include all of Office 365. So not just a niche space, that's the ECM SharePoint. So that's our big break. So today our customers leverage our SaaS solution, assisting Azure to be able to do the whole end-to-end -end business data, lifecycle management, data backup as a service, record management as a service. And increasingly, we're also going to vertical solutions. So such as our EdTech platform of training management, learning management, digital assessment, fully integrated with Microsoft Cloud, fully integrated with Teams. So to reduce change management and adoption management for large enterprises when it comes to commercial learning and development. So we are looking to expand our footprint to build more vertical solutions, leveraging our competitive advantage in data management space on top of Microsoft products. And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest growing alternative investment solution providers with a suite of institutional caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund, symbol ARB on the TSX, is the world's first SPAC-focused ETF with a diversified portfolio of SPAC and merger arbitrage opportunities in an easy-to-use, low-cost ETF. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF trades under the symbol ARB on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. From a financial perspective, can you talk a little bit about the unit economics of your business? Yeah, so this is all public information since we're a public company. So in terms of overall, this year we will be well over 200 million in recurring business. The recurring side is growing 31% uh, constant currency year over year. Uh, we are cash positive on an annualized basis, so that means we're not burning cash to grow at that rate. Uh, rest of our business that's non-recurring is what we call service business. We do deployment services, and some of the governance uh, setup services, 
And that is going to go from 18% of our business down to 10% of our business in the next uh, a few years as we continue to scale and invest into channel, invest in service partners. So we give the services to partners. So we just focus on the recurring piece of our business, the SaaS business. We see a clear line path to a billion dollar recurring revenue very quickly because the Microsoft market is massive. Uh, Julian earlier cited that we have over two, uh, sorry, nine million active users, cloud users on our platform. The entire Office 365 today is over 280 million users. So we're just scratching the surface to go after the market. The market itself is growing and we're growing. We are the only SaaS provider that's doing the whole end-to-end data lifecycle, business data management, migration integration work. So that perspective, we don't have a singularly focused competitor either. We have point competitors. So from a unit economic perspective, Michael, it's easier to think of us as like two, three dollars per user per month type of situation. Depends on what product and what bundle that you buy from us. Of course, we're uh, very aggressively working to enlarge that ARPU, so revenue per user per month footprint as we invest in our products, as we also acquire new IP. This year we have done and announced four acquisitions. So we will continue to work to enlarge our unit economics. Now, a major milestone in AvPoint's uh, history just occurred. You took the company public, so now a publicly traded stock. What was that experience like? And any lessons learned for other founders, CEOs looking to take their company public? Yeah, Julian. So we started going down this path in the late summer of 2020. And we actually started in the traditional IPO route. We put together a syndicate of Goldman, City, Evercore. And of course, during that time, as you recall, uh, the election is anybody's guess. Um, and also, we still did not have COVID vaccines. So it didn't, it felt like much, very much like how we feel today, right? There's a lot of volatility, uncertainty, and nobody really knows what the next six months to nine months will bring. So, of course, at that point, the stock market is still hot, and 75% of IPOs were done via uh, the SPAC route. So we actually checked out the option, and within a matter of four weeks, we were able to secure a $2 billion valuation, secure capital. We had zero redemptions, and that was the best way to to become public, and we did it that, that way. Of course, fast forward to today, as you know, we are now in 20, year 2022 as the worst IPO year in two decades. Right. It's a it's absolutely winter right now. Yep. There's no deals for bankers and it's uh, very hard to do public deals and even private deals with interest rates so high. Um, so it's, it's a very different world. Right. We don't know what next six months and next 12 months will be. But for us, um, because we are a public company, we're very well capitalized and we have no debt and we're cash generating. We're obviously working very aggressively towards getting gap profitable uh, as well. The difference is stock-based comp uh, allocation. Yep. So, so we're now in a situation where we we are have many options to grow. So that so that's a good thing. Now, my advice to entrepreneurs and companies that want to con- contemplate going public is that it's a very different thing from going private to public. You obviously have the massive uh, megawatt, you know, kind of attention and detailed analysis. Uh, being a public company every quarter. You have to talk to analysts. They have their own models in your company. What that does is actually it forces you to be much, much more disciplined 
in your business, you have to have predictability, you have to have growth, and you have to have discipline to make sure you execute to what you forecast that you would do. Also, you're, it creates this sharper focus around how to scale your business without incurring too much cost. And all these things are, um, I, I take it now that a year, more than a year after we have gone public, as good things, good forces that makes us a, a much better business. I often share with my senior management that my, my regret is that we didn't go public 10 years ago. Uh, we would have been even much bigger company today because of that forced discipline. As a private company, you kind of have a bit of a, you know, a relaxed attitude. Um, so whereas public company, you know, as you, as a market, in real time evaluates your quarterly performance, that actually allowed you uh, entire organization from me all the way to uh, field uh, staff and customer facing staff to feel that uh, impact on a quarterly basis in real time by the market. And that kind of unifying force is something that's really, really good by being a public company. Yeah, that's a really interesting insight as you transition from private to public. Now, you did mention a lot of volatility, uncertainty out there in the stock market. Many talking about recession. I was wondering, you're on the front lines of business. What's the current market environment from your perspective? Are you seeing recessionary conditions or is your customer base still looking to grow? The overall macro climate is uh, very um, volatile. And I think the recently uh, Goldman Sachs released a banker survey that 90 plus percent of the bankers are expecting a recession in the next 12 months. So that's the overall condition. For our point, however, we are extremely fortunate to be in the space of digital transformation and in the space of cloud data management and governance and security. Where I'm here in Munich, I've been talking to uh, customers here in Europe, our partners, our employees, everyone remains to be very bullish because um, if you actually uh, listen to uh, Microsoft, uh, Justin, the head of um, global commercial business, recently spoke in San Francisco. I was there at the Goldman conference giving a speech as well. Uh, from Microsoft perspective, the industry is only 2% of the way there in terms of digital transformation. And when we talk about digital transformation, it's not just about uplifting your mail servers, your files to cloud and call that a day. It's actually leveraging uh, big data, leveraging cognitive services, leveraging cloud services to reinvent and enhance and innovate your business. Every business has to be a tech business going forward. It's still a very, very competitive uh, global environment. So in that regard, we actually seeing continued massive demand to do digital transformation, to do uplift. And we're only 2% of the way there. So from our perspective, because we also focus a lot on regulated industry, government, very highly resilient industries. So we continue to see very, very strong demand across all 18 uh, markets that we play in. And these are all tier one B2B software markets. Our biggest market is USA. Our second biggest is Japan. Our third biggest is um, Germany. From a global distribution, 45% of our distribution of revenue is in North America. And rest of it is evenly split between Western Europe and Asia, and Asia being Japan, Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, and we recently expanded South Korea. So it's actually very, very, continued to be very good opportunity for us. And we're extremely fortunate to be in that space. Yeah, certainly certain sectors are more recession resistant 
than others. Now, looking back at your entrepreneurial journey, started a long time ago from zero, now up to 200 million in annual recurring revenue. You guys have a target to grow to 1 billion in ARR. Now, looking back, if you had a chance to start that entrepreneurial journey again, anything you'd do differently? Yeah, I think, uh, Julian, as I mentioned earlier, I would have um, really pushed our senior management team to go public 10 years earlier. So when we, uh, you know, in 2006, we raised our Series A uh, with Summit Partners with just uh, under $6 million funding. And we were growing double and triple every year for nine straight years. That's when we could have gone public as well. So we were, um, you know, at that point, I think a $70 million revenue business, we could have gone public. And that would have given us access to capital markets so we can grow faster. What we have done instead is we've done a Series B with Goldman Merchant Banking, and we did a subscription conversion on our own without borrowing money. So we actually were always very tight on, on capital because when you do a subscription conversion, there's a cash crunch, right? Go from perpetual to maintenance model to a subscription model where you get uh, the cash more distributed out in year two and three, there's a cash crunch situation. So we couldn't grow as fast as we would have because we didn't want to go into debt. So we were never taking on debt. And we built this business with just $60 million primary capital. We're just that fiscally conservative. Okay, TJ running into some technical issues with the Wi-Fi at the hotel in Munich, but we got him back on the show. Now, before we wrap things up, just one last fun question. I was wondering, as a business leader, CEO, what is your favorite productivity hack? Oh, my productivity hack. So I like to do long runs. I'm a marathon runner. And, um, you know, I have this monkey brain that uh, makes it difficult for me to, and I try many times to do meditation. So what I ended up doing is to do long runs and that allow us to allow me to actually calm my nerves and, and, and uh, think clearly. And my life hack is to listen to podcasts while I do my long runs. And I actually listen to them at 1.6x speed. So I actually get a lot of uh, knowledge intake during my long runs. Not only does it actually help me and reset my mind, but also I get to learn about you know, current events. I learn about you know, what NASA is doing. So I have a quite eclectic selection of podcasts that I catch up on. Great. Some practical advice for our listeners. Thank you so much, TJ, for coming on the show. Wish you the best of success at F-Point. Thank you, Julian. Thank you, Michael. All right. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty expressed or implied is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained this podcast. Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.